0: Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's platinum sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armaza. Our guests today are Sean Collins and Bell McNichols, co-founders of Goldfinch Partners. Founded in 2018, Goldfinch Partners invests in the enterprise technology companies that power digital transformation with an emphasis in marketing, commerce, payments, fintech, supply chain, and human capital. Prior to Goldfinch, Sean was co-founder and chief investment officer of BCG Digital Ventures, where he oversaw investments globally into over 75 ventures. And Bill was the senior vice president of corporate and business development at Starbucks, where he led over 40 transactions, including more than $11 billion of acquisitions, divestitures, and investments. And now join me in a great interview with Sean Collins and Bill McNichols. Bill and Sean, thank you for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Uh, We're glad to have you and and we're excited to hear your story. Uh, Can we start by hearing a little bit about your personal backgrounds?
1: Sure. So this is uh, Sean. It's uh, nice to meet you, Miguel, and thanks for having uh, Bill and I on today. I think uh, Bill and I have gotten to know each other over the last five years or so, not only at Goldfinch, but in our prior roles. Before we launched uh, a private equity firm together, uh, I spent five years as one of the founders and chief investment officer at BCG Digital Ventures, which is uh, the arm of BCG that works with the Fortune 500 to help them take assets and IP and spin them out into new companies or stand up new business units that have a technology product as its core offering. And in that capacity, I got to know Bill very well as uh, we launched a company together called Formation uh, that powers personalized marketing. Uh, and the digital ecosystems of various sets of tier one brands, including Starbucks, which is where I got to know him. Bill, you want to share a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. And this will be the quick
2: 30-second overview, and thanks for having us as well. Uh, Started in banking in the late 90s at a boutique called Gleacher, spent six years there, moved to Seattle, and began managing money for Paul Allen at Vulcan Capital. Was one of the partners there for another six years, and then from 2011 to 2018, built an ran global corporate and business development for Starbucks, where Sean mentioned we got to know each other, bringing in a um, pretty novel approach to address digital marketing uh, using machine learning. Uh, and ended up founding a company out of that. Uh, we're about 18 months into Goldfinch right now, and it put out just under $200 million of equity in those first, call it year and a half in three situations.
0: Excellent. So tell us a little bit about Goldfinch. Tell us about how... You know, you two coming from two different angles, different backgrounds, decide to leave this very interesting roles, very prestigious roles that you had, and you decide to go solo and, and launch your own fund.
1: Yeah, I think I really um, wanted to be—I
2: really wanted to be poor and have um, <laughs> a better story to tell other entrepreneurs and founders about starting something and taking ridiculous amounts of risk. I'm teasing a little bit. Uh, Sean had done that prior. But uh, it, w- it was actually just the right time for both of us. I think um, for me, at Starbucks, we had done over 40 transactions and a little over $11.5 billion of cash m a And there wasn't really anything left to do that I found that interesting. And the business had grown so much that my job was a lot more political than fun in some ways. And then for Sean, he had built a huge piece of the BCG ecosystem that was approaching a half a billion dollars in revenue. But to invest at scale really brought the whole principal advisor conflict into sharp relief at BCG, where things that I think Sean and you know his team were interested in investing in would have and were disrupting big BCG advisory clients, which makes it really hard you know, to grow that part of the business. And so for both of us, the timing in 2018 was right. And I think we had a pretty thoughtful approach, which involved... Um, working with both of the CEOs of Starbucks and BCG to figure out how we could leave with their blessing, which took forever in some ways. But at the same time, I think set us up for a lot of success because our relationships back with both of the companies are really strong. And Sean, do you want to add anything to that?
1: Um, I think that anytime you're building a new platform as a founder, it's incredibly important. You've got high alignment with your partners, right? Be they your co-founder, CEO, what have you. I think what was clear as I got to know Bill is that we had a very similar view of the world in terms of how technology and digital were going to change the ways in which companies would operate, change the nature of customer experiences. And we'll obviously get into FinTech here shortly, but I think both of us have seen sort of the first hand power of the new sets of ecosystems that have emerged around payments financing, capital flows, what have you. And I think it was just a great opportunity to come together and build uh, a new platform where we could be investing in the businesses that are really going to drive the next wave of a digital transformation together. And so I think that was the impetus for Goldfinch. And since we've been out building our firm in the last year and a half, I think we're both pretty pleased with the progress that we've made in both our portfolio as well as in continuing to establish our presence in the market.
0: So you mentioned a little bit of this answer, I guess, to this question, but why fintech? There are so many industries that you could have chosen, and I know it's not just a fintech fund, it's a digital uh, mm-hmm. fund, but still, tell us about your interest and, and your thesis for deciding to invest in fintech.
2: It's a great question. I would say that there's probably a little of all of them here, because I come at fintech largely through the lens of one of the biggest retailers in the world and appreciating how complicated and sometimes overly complicated the legacy networks are to accept payment and to create experience for customers. And that led to a lot of the Starbucks payment deals, ranging from the investment into Square with the commercial partnership to Chase to a couple with Visa... To Alipay and to WeChat Pay. And I think Sean comes at it from a ton of work at BCG and core banking and core banking platforms. And as we've thought about the intersection of those two approaches, I think we kind of look at the world of FinTech as not just investors, but actually as operators. And no, Sean didn't mention this, but prior to BCG, he was a senior vice president of strategy and e-commerce and marketing at a $4.5 billion retailer. So I think when you marry those perspectives with what's going on in the fintech world, you really have a bias towards certain, I'll call it investments, that are driving value to parts of the ecosystem that maybe have been underserved or misrepresented over the last 30 or 40 years. And I think that when we share those experiences with companies and with founders in particular, the fact that we've kind of lived it in the front line with responsibility for payments changes the conversation. And I like to think that our networks are pretty additive to the folks that we're making investments in. Nashawn, do you want to add anything there?
1: I think the only addition I would make is obviously FinTech is... You know, a massive market, if you look at anything from payment flows to level of financial assets to even adjacencies like InsurTech, which you know some people might put in the fintech rubric and others might not. But I think separate and apart from the market opportunities and the dynamism, I think both of us think a lot about how do you better serve the end customer and remove friction from the process. And I think that everyone would recognize not only innovators, but even Legacy financial institutions that are rapidly trying to transform themselves now, just how much friction there is and complexity, not only in the consumer experience, but then the resulting sort of enabling operations from the front to middle to back office to then the rest of the flows. And I think anytime you've got the opportunity to use technology to go and transform the product offering as well as the operation set. And even in some instances, the fundamental industry value chain, if you look at, say, how things are configured in China relative to other places in the world, I think that's a really exciting pocket to be in as an investor. I think the other point I would make around fintech for us more specifically is so much of the other opportunity within the future of commerce, for example, be it in real-time marketing or in supply chain, all of those data flows are fundamentally going through the card and order management piece. And as you think about sort of the future commerce experience, there's a lot of fundamental innovation that needs to occur in and around point of sale and payments to help create the kinds of innovative customer experiences or improve backend operations in the way that we think that the next call it half decade.
0: And why private equity? Why not go the VC route as, as it seems to be a popular route these days?
1: I think for us, Bill and I are interested in backing companies that can really have a transformative impact in medium and larger sized enterprises. I think both of us have seen the opportunity that there is to drive transformation across, call it the Fortune 1000 or 2000, what have you. And I think if that's part of your objective, you need to be working with more mature companies that actually have product and service capabilities that can meet the demands of large enterprises. I think that's harder to do if you're investing in kind of early stage startups, and so I think we feel like we're best equipped as investors to really work with firms that have, call it, you know, 25 to 50 million in revenue, and help grow them to 100 to 150 million of revenue. I think that's where we're just sort of differentially value added, and where we've decided to focus.
0: Got it. So tell us a little bit about um, your existing portfolio and what is your process, what is your sourcing process and what kind of, not just companies, but what kind of team management team are you looking for?
1: Yeah, so I think with respect to FinTech, there's two of our investments worth speaking about. Why don't I talk about Backed, and then Bill can talk about Vesta. I think that we are both sort of first principles thinkers. And as it relates to backed, that came about through a set of conversations that we and others were having around really how do you build a financial ecosystem that would sit outside of the existing sort of payment rails, if you will. And I think with backed, what we're doing is establishing regulated market infrastructure that can facilitate the trading of all different kinds of digital assets. But I think we're now also very public about expanding... The notion of what a digital asset is to include not just things like cryptocurrencies, but also loyalty points and rewards, airline miles, right? Other sets of digital assets that consumers are very comfortable with. And I think using that notion to help to mainstream them with a new payments offering. And so with BACT, that has been obviously not a kind of classically built venture company. It's a carve-out from a very large uh, enterprise, the Intercontinental Exchange. And I think what attracted us to ICE is, in particular, Jeff Sprecher's record of innovation. I mean, it's just an incredible story. And uh, if you haven't spoken to him, maybe I can help you get him on here at some point. But um, just his ability to drive innovation in financial and capital markets, and the assets they were bringing to bear, made them a best-in-class partner. And I think we've been excited about what we've done to build the company in the last 18 months, but I think I'm even more excited for what's coming next as we launch many more kind of the consumer and merchant-facing propositions here in the back half of this year. Bill, you want to speak to Vesta a bit? Sure. So we acquired
2: a company in Portland in
1: May called Vesta,
2: which focuses on managing fraud in card-not-present transactions, principally for large telecom providers. And it's been kind of interesting. The world is in the middle of what had been a nice shift to digital forms of payments away from cash and certainly bank check, which was accelerated pretty significantly with the crisis that we're in right now. And we were fortunate enough to have an opportunity to buy Vesta right while COVID was happening and watch the business become more and more, I'd say, important to its customers as stores closed and significantly more amounts of commerce shifted online, which creates liability for the merchants as they have to manage the fraud associated with non-in-person transactions. And so the the vernacular, if you will, in the network world is card not present. And what Vesta has done, and it started out in the late 90s, actually, and I'm old enough to remember this, which is scary managing long-distance calling cards where you had pre-bought minutes for large corporate customers. And they began building early stages of machine learning against that, which got quite advanced in the you know, mid-2010s. And we like to think it's certainly state-of-the-art. And they can provision a fraud decision in the transaction flow in approximately 30 to 40 milliseconds. Because the use case for telecom, as you think about a minute moving, is the hardest use case, is that digital good, if you will, is sort of out of the carrier's control once it's been provisioned and bought and fraud had been a big problem for them. So that business is growing quite nicely. We've owned it now for about two months. Really excited, I think, about taking what has been a great technology asset and applying it to a place where innovation is really needed as companies have struggled to control fraud if they manage it internally. But with a business like Vesta, where you're looking across the world with breadth, you're able to detect and then use the data to inform your algorithms and make just far, far superior decisions.
0: Very interesting. So speaking a little bit of the market in in light of COVID, the COVID Mm -hmm. crisis, Tell us how you think about the massive shift that we're living through. And also, how has this affected your outlook of the future of Goldfinch? Meaning, you're know, you sure. going to have to continue raising. And you it know, sounds like this is a buyer's market, but it's also a more challenging
1: time. Well, I think it depends on kind of the nature of your investment thesis and themes. I mean, I think as we've been discussing already we've been very focused on digital transformation. And in many ways, you've had sort of 5 years of digital growth in the last 5 months. Everything from e-commerce penetration going from 19 to 40% plus in the United States to the growth of Zoom from whatever, 19, I think, million Zoom calls to 300 million, something like that. I mean, that's just sort of exponential change in digital adoption. And I think in that kind of environment, many of the companies whose propositions we've been discussing, become all the more relevant. I think within fintech specifically, there's no question that several of the mega themes like the decline of cash, the rise of e-commerce, the unbundling of the credit card product are all being accelerated right now. But I think the flip side of that is you've obviously got to be thinking hard about the balance sheet, particularly within a lot of these lending-based models. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see both how some of the loans that were originated from a number of these fintechs perform here over the next several months, as well as how many of these firms are able to maintain their credit quality through this cycle. I mean, said differently, it's great to be talking about real-time machine learning and the power of your data. But if your data set never has a cataclysmic recession driven by a supply shock in it, how well those capabilities perform through this environment is, I think, a really big question. And I think for us, we're very interested in a lot of kind of the enabling infrastructure that's going to enable digital growth. But I think we're a little more reticent on models that put a balance sheet or capital at risk, at least in this environment.
0: Got it. And in terms of your value add to the companies that you're bringing under your portfolio, what would you say is your angle? What is your main value add?
2: I think if you like to think about people's careers as chapters, the first two chapters for each of Sean and I, So McKinsey, and then a big operating role for him. And banking and private equity for me are pretty similar to what a lot of investors do. The final two chapters, you know, founding BCG Digital Ventures for Sean and then eight years at Starbucks for me are quite different. And I think if we're being quite Candid about it, the networks that we built in those last chapters are really a differentiator across the Fortune 1000. As we seek to help the companies that we invest in grow, and I think at the same time, because we've actually had operating roles in large businesses, we have a maybe a more nuanced appreciation for some of the challenges of running companies, especially ones that are growing quickly, and keeping culture intact and building repeatable process and value proposition for customers. A lot of people in this environment can speak for capital. I think the question really is what differentiates you and what's the most valuable kind of asset that you're bringing into the conversations. And this actually gets back to the answer Sean gave you on why private equity, not venture. Our networks in particular are much more set up for companies in that 25 plus million dollar revenue area where we can build, we can take a scaled product and deliver it to our network it's part of the process for us. And I think that that is what we've seen so far in the market. I suspect it will continue.
0: Great. Yeah. So you definitely have outstanding experience that really makes sense to be a private equity investor, but you're also a first-time founder of a fund, right? Tell us about your fundraising process and perhaps some of the challenges you encounter along the way. And what were you hearing from the LPs?
1: I think that uh, certainly our experience set and strategy have resonated. And I think if you think about our pace of capital deployment relative to a first-time fund, it would certainly be on the higher end of what a number of new managers do. I think that the biggest question that we've been answering, hopefully pretty loudly, has been our ability to continue to invest and do things at scale when we're not part of great platforms like BCG and Starbucks. And I think as we've answered that question and have been seeing success in our portfolio, that's helped us continue to build relationships across the institutional limited partner ecosystem. Great.
0: Now, speaking a little bit of the road ahead, let's talk about some of the trends that you're seeing in fintech. And if so, are there any areas of the industry that you are most excited about going forward?
1: think there are a few pockets of opportunity that we're pretty excited about right now. So I think with the acceleration and growth of digital commerce, more sets of payments capabilities that enable not only consumer payment flows, but B2B are, I think, quite interesting to us. I think that B2B payments are far less digitized today relative to what you would see on the consumer side. And I think that's a space where we're spending time. I think that the credit card while it was sort of an amazing 20th century product, I think will continue to get unbundled. I think not only sort of its shift from being a physical piece of plastic or metal to something that's in a digital wallet, but more substantially, I'm not sure the extent to which issuers really want to be in the business of managing loyalty points. I'm not sure the extent to which merchants want to have interchange, go back to customers generically versus control that. And I think the consumer... Proposition with points and rewards works for some segments, but I think in others, the mix of interest and fees and lack of transparency around that I think create challenges. And so I think that the whole model around sort of real time unsecured lending that's digitally enabled is one where we're obviously seeing growth driven by many of the e commerce enablers, but I think there's a long way to go there in that market, which is pretty interesting. And then I think we also look at a number of the innovations that are happening. Outside the U.S., because I think we would candidly argue places like China are pretty far ahead in terms of what can happen with fintech and how to bring many of those back then into the U.S. And so I think those are some of the places where we're interested in spending time.
0: You're a U.S. focused fund. Would you ever consider exploring international companies?
2: Uh, I mean, I think not right now. Although I would say that Vesta has a fairly significant presence outside of the U.S. in central and south america and then more focus in asia as well but bear in mind that we've been very global for our careers i mean i think that both of us have transacted and built businesses around the world and if you're speaking of fintech i've done a quite a bit of work in southeast asia with wechat and with ali so i think we would consider it but right now with you know the first fund it's going to be north america focused so canada the states and mexico beyond that i do think that we will expand from uh, the States from a business standpoint. And I do expect that we will be looking at opportunities outside of the United States within the next year or two. But right now, most of the focus is is uh, domestic.
0: Fantastic. Well, Bill, Sean, this has been super interesting. Before we go, we'd love to ask you about how you spend some of your time outside of Goldfinch, outside of the office. Now, perhaps you could tell us about your hobbies.
1: Well, I'd say the office is closed for the foreseeable future, like everyone else. So I think Bill and I both uh, spend quite a bit of time with our families and kids, which is rather wonderful. And then I think for me personally, it's interesting in kind of this COVID world where you can't go out and be doing many of the activities that you were before. Personally, I've actually been uh, pretty focused on kind of health and fitness. And so I've been riding my Peloton quite a bit through this whole period.
2: Bill, you want to add anything? I think that this has been a a sort of forced time with focus on family and kids, which has been great. And I think I would also echo the sort of more awareness of taking care of yourself when you're not on an airplane, you know, two or three times a week flying all over. So that's been a bit of a blessing in disguise. And I'd I'd say as well that beyond the fitness angle, cooking has become a very nice skill to have uh, in the middle of COVID. And so working through cookbooks has also been part of the, the last six months.
0: We're all chefs these days. Bill, Sean, again, thank you for joining us. This is uh, extremely interesting. We look forward to seeing a lot of the success to come. And absolutely, we would definitely love to invite some of your portfolio companies on the show. And we'll also love to invite you on campus once it's possible.
1: Yeah, no, look, uh, Miguel, it was great speaking to you about FinTech and getting to know you as well. And we look forward to being able to meet in person when uh, this whole pandemic is over too.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.